good to see you this morning. My name is Darren Dolson, and uh, it's good to be back in Visalia. I grew up here, but it's been, well, over half my life I've not lived in California now. That just happened a couple years ago. So came here late Friday night from Orlando, Florida, where I live and work. And, uh, but it's always good to come back and, uh, and visit and see what's new in the community of Visalia. It seems like every time I come, there's new neighborhoods, new stores, new uh, restaurants and such, which is mostly good. A few things that kind of bum me out, though. I come and I see that all the, the uh, walnut orchards that I used to ride my bike in are gone. So a um, little sad there, but, but it's good to be here this morning. So, as I said, I grew up in Visalia when I graduated Mount Whitney High School about 148 years ago. I went to Westmont College in Santa Barbara after that. And uh, when I um, left Visalia, I, I was a Christian. I grew up in First Baptist, which is now Gateway Church. But about the time I uh, left and was going away to college, I was living pretty much for me. The things that were important in my life were baseball, uh, my car, and girls. And so um, those were really what ruled my, my hearts and my affections. And, and, uh, but God began using people and circumstances in my life really to draw me back to himself. And one of the big events for me was um, a missions retreat, not a retreat, a trip uh, to Ensenada, Mexico called um, Potter's Clay. Every spring break, Westmont would take about 400 students or so down there, and they'd do uh, a variety of different bits of work and, and service in the community, leading VBSs and things. And when I got back, uh, it had really changed my perspective on, on people and cultures, uh, began to whet my appetite. The world's a lot bigger than Visalia that I grew up in. And uh, I remember spending some time with the Lord uh, after that, and um, uh, just saying, Lord, I will go anywhere and do anything you want me to do. And my plan at that time was I thought I was going to teach and coach baseball. But the Lord had a great adventure for me that I wasn't quite planning on. And uh, the biggest part of that adventure has been my family. And uh, uh, this picture is the most recent, um, was last Christmas. So to uh, my wife, Kathy, and I have been married almost 29 years now. We are actually friends at Mount Whitney High School. I went south to college. She went north to Sacramento State, but the Lord brought us back together. Well, I was working actually as a youth pastor, and she'd come on staff with crew. And um, our oldest daughter is to her right. That is Nikayla. Uh, she is married to Ted. They live in Nashville, Tennessee. Ted is an audio engineer and has a studio in Nashville. They have three little girls, so I'm a grandpa, which is really fun, but I get called Pops because that's a lot cooler than grandpa. And uh, so the oldest is Milena, she's five, and Emmeline, who I'm holding, is three, and Brindley is two, so my daughter is exhausted all the time. Um, to my uh, left there in the picture is Danielle. She just graduated from the University of Central Florida. We're not quite sure what her next steps are. She'll probably be leaving in Orlando uh, this year, either moving to Nashville or possibly overseas, uh, if the Lord leads her to that. And then our son Brock is, is uh, 20 and working in Orlando. 
But this picture is a little bit incomplete. Uh, we lost our 19-year-old son after his freshman year in college, Brian, about three and a half years ago now. And so um, it's a journey that we didn't anticipate. Uh, we weren't planning on this pathway that the Lord had for us. But we're seeing beauty in the ashes, and the Lord has used it more um, deeply in my life than anything else to draw me to himself and then to, to use our story as a part of uh, glorifying himself. Let me pray for us real quick, and then we're going to jump into the message. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning, the opportunity to gather as uh, the body, uh, your children that you've called to yourself um, to make a difference in the, the world around us. And so we're really grateful to, um, to be together, to fellowship, to hear from your word, to, uh, to worship. And I pray that you would use this time to ultimately draw us to yourself, Lord. And uh, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So my wife, Kathy, and I have been on staff uh, with crew for 29 years for me, 30 years for Kathy now. And um, we have been a part uh, most recently of what's called the Lake Heart Stint. We've been on the leadership team that helps lead this project for 13 years. And the Lake Heart Stint is based out of our world headquarters in Orlando. We bring about 50 of our staff together for the course of one year. About half of these folks are coming in from somewhere overseas. And... Um, during the year that they have with us, it is our heart really to be investing into the most important resource we have, and that is our staff. Um, Proverbs 27, 23 says, be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. And that really um, resonates with me as we try and care for and shepherd our staff. We wanna help them grow and develop both personally, professionally, and spiritually. And so in the course of 13 years, we've had over 600 uh, crew missionaries come through the Lake Heart Stint that I've been able to be a part of. And in that time, we wanna help refresh them in their walks with the Lord. We wanna help resource them both uh, personally, professionally, spiritually in their own development. Then we wanna relaunch them wherever God's called them to, whether that's on staff with crew in the States, whether that's back overseas somewhere, or whether that's off staff. Um, I've got guys that I coach that are now pastors, others that are lawyers and using their position as a lawyer to help with human trafficking issues around the world. And so that's been an exciting thing to be a part of, uh, is to help relaunch missionaries all over the world. Um, we can't be at a missions conference without talking a little bit about the Great Commission, though. Uh, at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus had already been crucified. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. He uh, met with his apostles, the, the disciples, um, and many others over the course of several weeks before he ascended into heaven. This is what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So you come to a missions conference like this, 
And you might think, well, the Great Commission is for them. It's for those that have been called to go to the world. Um, or it's for, you know, those early apostles, those first disciples, that they were to be a part of helping to fulfill the Great Commission. But the reality is, as we look at the Great Commission itself, where Jesus promised to never leave or forsake uh, those disciples, even to the end of the age, we see that the commandment is for not only those that he was talking to, but those that would follow after until the Great Commission is fulfilled. And since we're here today and we're not in heaven, it has not yet been fulfilled. And so it's not just for missionaries or pastors or those early disciples of Jesus. It's for the church. The church uh, is not just us sitting here today, but it is through for the church from the beginning of time at that point till he comes again. And so we're being invited into being a part uh, of helping to fulfill the Great Commission. So if you have a Bible, if you have an electronic device, uh, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'll give a little bit of uh, context for us. Matthew is one of the 12 disciples. And Matthew's life was radically transformed when he had an encounter with Jesus. He was a tax collector, which the Jews despised. So he was a, uh, one that they, they would despise because he was working in conjunction with Rome, uh, the Romans who had taken over Jerusalem and Israel. And um, so he was a traitor in the Jews' eyes. And... Um, Matthew, though, when Jesus came to his table where he was collecting taxes, and Jesus said to him, follow me, his life was transformed. His heart was transformed. And we can see that encounter in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew uh, is, is one of the, the four authors who wrote a biography about Jesus. Uh, his is the first, Matthew, and then Mark, Luke, and then John. But uh, Matthew in particular, he's writing to a Jewish audience. And that's something that's important for us to remember in the context. Um, two primary themes throughout the Gospel of Matthew. First, is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the King. Sixteen times throughout his Gospel, he talks about Jesus is the Messiah. In chapter 1 alone, four times, he says... Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Well, why? The Jewish audience. It is really important for them to know that the person in Jesus is the one that they've been waiting for as the Messiah King. The second theme in the Gospel of Matthew is that of the kingdom. Fifty-four times in his Gospel, the word kingdom is used. Thirty-four of those times in particular, he says, the kingdom of heaven and so the Sermon on the Mount is the first of, of five teaching discourses of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, but the Sermon of the Mount is a description of the kingdom of God and the people who make it up. So, beginning in verse 1 uh, of chapter 5, it's known as the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount. The word uh, Beatitudes comes from beatus, which means blessing or to be blessed, and um, those, those 10 verses there, from 3 to, to uh, verse 12, which we know is the Beatitudes, the blessings, 
are really characteristics of kingdom citizens. Characteristics of kingdom citizens. But there's two important things that we need to remember. Again, the Jewish context. So the Jews' understanding of what righteousness was is right living, as described in the Old Testament Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And so righteousness is equal to right living. And Jesus is going to completely reframe that here in the next 10 verses. The Jews also thought, so the second point here, is that God's blessing would be when the Messiah, the King, came and he conquers, he just demolishes Rome, who is now oppressing God's people, the Jews. Jesus is again going to destroy this misconception of what blessing is. He's going to turn it upside down. So beginning in, in, uh, in verse, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if I'd have been sitting on the grass that day, and I just heard this from Jesus, remember the Jewish context, I would have probably cocked my head a little bit, squinted my eyes, and think, that's not what I thought blessing was meant to be. But uh, it was. It was. Um, In American culture today, we'd probably say something like this. Blessed are the strong in spirit. Blessed are those who are happy and self-confident. Blessed are those who have material abundance. Blessed are those who have powerful emotional intelligence. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for greater self-worth. You see, Jesus is still turning that idea of blessing upside down. The Beatitudes do not reflect behavior. They reflect an inward state of heart. You see, the poor in spirit, it's the opposite of being proud. It's someone who has recognized their their spiritual bankruptcy and they've cried out to the Lord. Those who mourn have a sense of anguish for their sin and display genuine repentance. Hey, thanks for taking a picture of that because I do the same thing at church. Good job. (laughs) The meek are humble and submit their wills to God. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is to have a passion for personal righteousness and a healthy dissatisfaction with their present spiritual state. The merciful are those who are putting pity 
into action. Uh, those that are pure in heart are those who are free, are morally free from being um, in contamination of sin. Peacemakers are those who are taking part in God's very nature, for God is the God of all peace, and Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And as a part of the kingdom of God, we too can expect in the presence of broken and evil humanity to be persecuted for righteousness. Those are the characteristics of kingdom citizens and what it means to be blessed. Um, Jesus came to give us a new definition, and this is it. It's that life in my kingdom isn't about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. Life in my kingdom isn't about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. That's what he came to do. So the characteristic of kingdom citizens, that they've entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, um, and it is secure because of what Christ did on the cross, but kingdom citizens are in a continuing process because they have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them now, who resides in us, and as a result, we're, we're more and more living into the identity that is already true of who we are. Uh, my pastor in Orlando, Don Cousins, the father of quarterback Kirk Cousins, said, who we see ourselves to be will direct our influence over others. We tend to view or identify, or excuse me, we tend to view our identity with what we do. To the degree that we do well, we receive blessing and influence. In God's kingdom, he gives blessing which shapes our identity, which impacts our influence. See, we often get it wrong. We, talk, we think about our, what we do shapes our identity, and then as a result, we have influence, and we've got it backwards. It's our identity is already established because of who we are in Christ, and it's out of who we are, identity, that, that leads us to what we do and therefore, we have influence in others' lives. So that is, first of all, a look at uh, what it means to be the characteristics of a kingdom citizen. Secondly, we want to look at the function of kingdom citizens. Uh, Jesus takes us from there, beginning with verse 13 in, in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what does it mean to be salt and light? Well, back in Jesus' time, salt was used to flavor, and it was used as a preservative. So kingdom citizens are to preserve and flavor the culture around them. Salt loses its influence, though, when it's mixed, mixed with another compound. 
So kingdom citizens need to remain pure from the decaying influence of the culture around them in order that they can continue to have flavor that influences the culture around them. The purpose of light, of course, is to illuminate. It's to give clarity, to make a pathway known so I can see where I'm going. Um, kingdom citizens are to be light in a dark and broken world. Light needs to be uncovered to dispel darkness. It's no good whatsoever for us if we cover the light up. So Jesus calls us to let our light shine. Well, leads me to a question, how are we to be salt and light? How are we to function as kingdom citizens in the place that God has placed us? Uh, four points, four thoughts. We can be salt and light with first our eyes, then our ears, then our hands, and lastly, with our mouths. So first of all, uh, we can be salt and light through our eyes. How do we see people? Um, so back in Genesis 1, chapter, uh, or verse 26 and 27, the Trinity is actually having a conversation. And this is what they said, let us uh, make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So as the Trinity is having this conversation, they decide to make humanity, to make people as image bearers of the Trinity, as image bearers of God himself. The term for that is the Imago Dei. So what does it mean that people are created in the image of God? Well, all of humanity, all people of all cultures, of all race, in God's design, display something unique, something beautiful about God himself. All people represent a piece of the Imago Dei. Psalm 8 says all human beings are crowned with royal dignity. They do that because they represent an image. They are image bearers of the one who created them, the Almighty God. One of the great ways that I think we can um, purposefully put eyes to, uh, to action is through empathy. Empathy just simply means to walk in someone else's shoes. It's to try and see life through their lenses to consider what they um, what they think what they're feeling what they're experiencing one of these um, recent experiences that i had was under the teaching of dr luke bobo uh, at a class i took uh, about a year and a half ago it was a christian worldview and ethics class and dr b as he affectionately became known to all of us um, was an african-american professor it was a phenomenal class that we took and as we, we entered into the class this first day, we all sat down, primarily crew staff who were working on college campuses, and he asked us this question. So if one of your students that you were working with uh, calls you up in the middle of the night and says, me and some friends went to a party, we've been drinking, would you come and pick us up? What would you do? 
first person responded and said, well, I don't think I would do it because I don't want to promote their behavior. But the vast majority of everybody else that responded said, well, yeah, we'd pick them up because we want to we want to protect them, we want to protect others so they don't go out and drive. We want to kind of talk about what happened, what made you make these choices tonight. And that was kind of the, the, the flavor of how things went that, that uh, as people responded to his question. And as Dr. B let everybody finish, he finally said, I wouldn't go pick him up. And we kind of sat there for a sec, waiting, why? Why wouldn't you go pick them up? And he said, because if I went and picked them up and I got stopped by a police officer, I do not think I'd be given the benefit of the doubt that I, too, was not drinking. And I sat there in my seat, and I realized I don't even begin to understand what that means. I don't even have to think about such a thing. I would absolutely believe that this officer that stopped me would believe I'm doing a good deed. I'm helping these young kids. But he has to think differently because in summer of 2017, remember all those clashes that were going on? White police officers that had shot black young men who were unarmed and the retaliation of black young men who shot police officers, he has to think through a totally different grid than I do. And so it really, that really uh, shaped the past 15 months for me in trying to think and consider how do other people see and experience life? How, how can I see through their eyes? So Eyes is the first point. Second is ears. And uh, we're going to watch a quick video uh, that will give us a little picture of what it means um, to uh, be salt and light with our ears. That's a, uh, a training video from Chick-fil-A, but I love it. Every life has a story if we'll take the time to read it. Um, and I think that's a great illustration of what it means to, uh, to listen, to hear, to be salt and light through how we listen. I want to read um, to you uh, a post of a friend of mine named Brian. And I uh, was on staff with crew for a number of years and went through the Lake Hart stint. And then God called him to uh, just a different ministry in Orlando with a, a focus in Uganda, Africa. But um, Brian posted this in, in late July. He said, I picked up my first prostitute yesterday after lunch, and we went and spent a few hours together. No joke. After lunch near downtown Orlando, my friend and I were in the parking lot, and Melissa asked to borrow a phone to call her ride back to her hotel. Her occupation was evident after asking a few questions, even though she didn't say it. We both said no to giving her a ride back to her hotel on Universal Drive when she couldn't reach her pimp. Then I basically asked, what have the last few years been like for you? My guard of not wanting to put myself in a compromising situation came down and my heart for a person came out. As we drove her to her hotel, 
this is what I saw and heard. Melissa is a part of a group of young women that get text messages or calls from men that pay money for a short appointment. Many of these men are married, cannot connect with uh, women naturally. Some are obviously not great dudes. But if they can afford it, they connect. It's a job. As I shared parts of my story, she was encouraged to know that is out there and wants to have a normal life at some point. Her last few sentences before we left were tearful. What I do doesn't leave me feeling good at night. I could sense the honest shame and hopelessness, yet also with a sick but real sense of community and providing for herself since all she has known is neglect, abandonment, and need for security. Picking up a prostitute was the best thing that happened to me this week. I can see why Jesus was so attracted to the sinners and those like Melissa. He cared for them and fought for them when some of the religious circles wanted to stone them. Melissa said the best thing anyone can do for the homeless and the broken like her is to not look down on them and to treat them as less than, but to just ask them questions and care about them. Just like I experienced, you will learn a lot more than you can imagine and they will feel a sense of dignity that you cared about them as a person and that they were worth time and value. Brian saw Melissa through the Imago Dei. He saw her as an image bearer of God. And he took the time to listen to her story and to give her dignity. He didn't change her world that day. He changed moments of her life, but he engaged her story, and I love that. And that's what it means with those first two points, how I see people and how I listen to people. Often in conversations, I find myself, and I'm trying to grow in this, but we can be talking about something, and someone might spur something or say something, and it spurs something in my head, and so the next thing I'm doing, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say rather than asking questions and saying, well, well, what was that like for you? How did that change you? Tell me more. And actually drawing the other person out. So, um, how I see people, how I listen to people. And thirdly, um, is hands. So how am I doing at stewarding the time, talents, and treasure to make a difference the people has got, that God has put in my life, those he's placed around me. This is really kind of the nuts and bolts of the salt and light piece, I think. Um, how am I doing it at stewarding my life? How am I living it out? Um, three points, I would say, is, is our character, our service, and then the fruits of the Spirit. I'm going to brag a little bit on my son, Brian, and uh, one of his friends, um, Caleb, told me this. And uh, he said, uh, Brian and I and, and our other buddies, we were uh, going to Steak and Shake one night, and we went and we, we got our food, and each one of us got our burger, our fries, and we got a cup for water. And they proceeded to the, the, uh, the soda fountain, and they each got a Coke, a root beer, whatever that would be. And Brian ordered the full meal deal, and... Uh, he, uh, he got his soda as well, and they asked him, he said, why didn't you just get a water cup? And Brian said, my integrity's worth more than 
character. I'm very proud of him. Is our life displaying character that, that is salt and light to those around us? And his was that day. What about service? How are we doing at serving those around us? How are we doing at, at, at practically being the hands and feet of Jesus to those that God's placed around us? Um, so my family was working at Washington State University from 96 to 06 with, 06 with college students. We took a year and we actually participated in the Lakehart stint that I now help lead. We went back to Washington State and as we pulled up with our big moving van and everything, um, the, our church at that time uh, had a ministry because it's a college town, there's a lot of people moving in, moving out. One of the ministries was just a moving ministry, helping people pack up their trucks, whether they're coming or going. And so this swarm of people came like locusts on my house, and they unloaded my, my, my uh, truck. They put stuff in my garage. They placed it in my house wherever Kathy told them to put it. And, uh, and they were off. But the next day, I met one of my new neighbors. His name was Galen. And Galen said, who were all those people that came and helped you? I said, well, that, that was our church. And he said, that's pretty cool. He said, I might have to go and check out that church. And he did. And as a result, Galen and his family started attending our church, and their lives were changed because of the service they saw that the body of Christ was involved with. And lastly is the fruit of the Spirit. You know, those are the things that, that we can't muster up for long. Those are things that only God can be doing. And so the question for us is, is our life matching what we proclaim on Sunday mornings on Monday through Saturday? Is it, is it looking like when we leave here, are we looking the same way that we talk about being? Are we displaying love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, those fruits that are not mine to muster up and kind of make happen, but they're fruits that God's producing in and through our lives. When people see that, when they see you respond differently than they would have and think, man, I would have been really ticked off if that would have happened to me, I was going to say another word, and I thought, nah, better not. Anyway, but when they see you respond differently, when they see you love those that are the homeless around them, when they see you um, express concern for a child, you know, those, those are things that, that are display fruits of the Spirit. God's got to do that through us. So that's, that's, the, uh, that's the hands piece. So eyes, ears, hands, and lastly um, is our mouth. How do my words make a difference the people God's placed around me? Uh, Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one in whom they've not believed? And how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching or speaking to them? 
How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Um, and then uh, in 1 Peter 3, it says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an account of the hope that is within you. But do so with gentleness and respect. And so how, how can I be prepared to speak? How do you, I use my words? How do I use my mouth? Now, I, I came to know the Lord at a young age. I grew up in First Baptist Church, which is now Gateway. And so, conceptually, I believe that it's really important that I would talk to others about Christ. The problem was I didn't do it. One of the things was fear. The other was I wasn't exactly sure how and what to communicate to someone else. My life was truly transformed by the use of a simple tool, a little yellow booklet called the Four Spiritual Laws. That has been translated numerous times. It's been updated numerous times. But the result was I got some training and equipping with this one little tool. I began to take some steps of faith and communicate the gospel with those around me. Now, it's been, it's been upgraded lots and lots of times. I, haven't, I couldn't tell you the last time I actually used a real booklet. There is an app called God Tools. It's made by Crew. You should put it on your phone. And it is an incredible app that is, is really helpful, not only using a tool like the Four Spiritual Laws or the Knowing God Personally booklet, but it answers great questions. It has all these different things that are a great resource for the church, the body of Christ, to use in using our words as a means of communicating and of being salt and light. Um, I was at... Um, the graduation from the University of Florida of one of Brian's friends a little over a year ago, and as I, Kathy and I got invited to be with their family for lunch afterwards, I met a young guy by the name of Andre. Andre was from England, and we began to just talk a little bit about each of our stories, and as we stood in the bar waiting to be seated, I pulled out the God Tools app and got to share my faith with Andre. We had a great conversation. Andre didn't pray to receive Christ that day, but we became Facebook friends the next day. And for the past 15 months, Andre and I have been in conversation about God and where he's at spiritually. And uh, a tool like that has been so very helpful in my own life. And then lastly is just your own story. You know, tools are great, but one of the most powerful tools is just your own story. How did you come to know Christ. What are the things, the people he's used in your life, the circumstances that he has interjected into that's made a difference in your life? If you will take time to consider those things, you can begin to pull out stories and circumstances and answered prayers and things that God has done to use with your words and communicating the good news, communicating the gospel, and communicating God's love to people around you. I've got a, a tool called the Life Map that if you go back to my table afterwards, you can grab um, this sheet that will talk to you about how, how can you make your own life map? How can you look at your own journey? For me, I've kind of segmented out into generations, five plus of them now, and, uh, 
And it's been a great tool. So when I'm in conversation, I can remember, oh, this kind of, you know, I'm, I'm trying to listen well, the ears piece. I'm trying to respect and give dignity to them through the eyes piece. Um, if I'm in relationship with them, hopefully they've seen the hands piece. But I also want to speak. I want my words um, to be interjected in such a way that people come to know Christ. And so your own story can be a big piece of that. So I'm going to finish up here real quickly. The, the idea that I want to finish with is that, you know, I don't, I don't know all of your story. I don't know where you're at. I know for myself, I can get kind of sucked up into my own little kingdom. You know, I can get focused on my life and things that I want to do. I can get focused on things that are pretty temporary, don't have any eternal significance at all, and uh, pretty me-focused at times. But more and more, God is doing a work in my heart, that transformation piece that uh, I really need, that we all need. And more and more, I want to be a part of helping to build his kingdom. Because if the gospel is true, then the only things that are going to last through all eternity are God himself, his word, and the souls of men and women. And we, he, We've been invited into building an eternal kingdom, to being a part of that. And that is visionary. That is great. That's worth giving your life to. So let me pray for us, and then we'll go out and have some lunch, I think. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to um, be together and to hear from your word. I pray, Lord, that um, regardless of where people are at, um, your spirit would be at work in our hearts and, and helping each one of us to take a next step. What does it mean to uh, be characterized as a kingdom citizen? What does it mean to function day in and day out as salt and light um, in the world that you've put me in, whether I'm a teacher, a doctor, whether I'm a student? Lord, there's people around us that you've strategically placed us around that you want us to be salt and light to uh, with how we see them, with how we engage them and listen to their story, with how we love and serve those around us, and ultimately with our words, how we can uh, make a difference with what we say. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.